Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. If you were to look at the definition, guys, of the term aftermath, aftermath, if you would go into your computer, if you would look it up on the internet, whatever it might be, whatever dictionary, here's what you would find. It would say aftermath. It'd say the consequences or the after effects of a significant, unpleasant event. Let me say that again. The aftermath is a consequence or the after effects of a significant unpleasant event. Now, you might be thinking, aftermath, what does that have to do with, what what does this definition have to do with John 19 in in our text today? Well, here's the thing, guys. I believe when you think of the word aftermath, right, I believe that it illustrates very well what we're going to learn today in just a few verses we're going to study. Because this is the aftermath of Jesus dying. It was the consequences or the after effects of our Jesus already dying on the cross of Calvary. Here's what's going on. Listen, that is exactly where we left Jesus two weeks ago. You go, where was that? You see, my Jesus, listen, had died on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's where my Jesus is. He's on a cross right now. He died for the sins of the world. Now, listen to me. It wasn't enough that he was beaten and scourged within an inch of his life. It wasn't enough guys, that Pilate brought him out of the praetorium and pronounced him not guilty to the entire world as they sat there. And yet they they, they yelled out all the more, crucify him. He's not guilty. Crucify him. It wasn't enough that my Jesus stood in a purple robe, now soaked with his own blood, with a crown of thorns shoved down his head, Blood everywhere, beard pulled out as he stood there not facing. No, that was not enough to save us from ourselves and our sins. Listen, for God to save us, he had to take our place. He had to take our place. He had to die for all of mankind's sins. But that brings me to a question. You see, when I was probably about nine years old, I remember going through what we would call religious books in our home, and I remember going through some religious books, and I saw a picture, a very, very vivid vivid picture, and I saw three people on a cross, and I remember the, the focus was on Jesus on a cross. I didn't, wasn't saved. I didn't know anything. I was just a kid. And I remember asking this question, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, you got three people. It's pretty brutal. You're dying on the cross. I mean, even, even an eight-year-old could figure out this is not cool. And I asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Now, I think that's a question that we all have to ask. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, if you're taking notes, what I want to do just real briefly, guys, is attempt to answer that question. You go, what's that? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, if you're taking notes, shot this down. Number one, God is holy. We must remember that God is holy. You go, wait, 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 time out, time. God is merciful and he's loving, isn't he? I remember people telling me, God is love, but he's also holy. He's holy, he's all-merciful, he's all-powerful, but God is holy, gracious, and just. We need to remember that. Well, you go, what else, Ben? Well, the second thing is sin and holiness are conflicting and opposed. 
Sin and holiness are conflicting and opposed. As a matter of fact, Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. You can look at yourself and go, that's me. In the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. I didn't sin. Do you remember growing up? I'm not a sinner. I never stole anything. I never... We're all sinners. I think nobody gave me an amen on that. Paul also writing to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's, God's glorious statement. So, so sin, you go, that's me. And holiness, they're opposed. They're conflicting. Okay, so how's this going to work? How's this going to work, man? Well, number three. We need to realize that sin separates us from God. Why did Jesus have to die? Because sin separates us from God. Our sin completely separates us from the holiness of God. You and I are over here going, I'm a sinner. God is over here. We want to be over there. But we can't because sin separates us. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. Wow. Wow. Why did Jesus have to die? Number four, jot this down. Sin is punished by death. Sin is punished by death. The Bible says that the soul that sins shall die. Hello? The soul, that's me. That's me. I I should die. But see, Paul in writing to the Romans, chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we know that sin needs to be punished by death. Whose death? Well, that brings us to our fifth point. You go, ah, I could die. No, no, no. Our own death, guys, does not atone for sin. We need to realize that. Our own death does not atone. Why did Jesus have to die? Because uh, my death would not atone for my sin. Our death is not sufficient to atone for sin, Because atonement requires the perfect spotless sacrifice. The perfect, I'm not perfect. No, we're not perfect. We mess up all the time. And that's what it takes. See, Jesus, the perfect God-man, came to offer that pure, complete, everlasting sacrifice to remove, atone, and make an eternal payment for sin. That's why Jesus had to die. You go, go on, number six. Because only Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. Only Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. Only through Jesus Christ can sins be forgiven and restoring our relationship back for God. Here's the thing, guys. You and I, hear me. I'm a sinner. I want to be over here with God. I want to to bridge that that gap. Well, it's the cross is the only thing that's going to bridge that gap so that Jesus, so that we can be forgiven and we can be restored into a relationship with a holy God. It was Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. What for, Ben? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, he, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, to take my sin, to take my place, so that I could stand righteous before God. That should, that's a good amen right there. That's a great amen right there. Why? Because notice he's taking our place. Ben, why did Jesus have to die? Well, because we need to realize that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was fully God and fully man. And the Bible says that no man comes to the Father except through me. 
And the world is going to do everything in its power to get you to doubt Jesus Christ. Oh, there's all kinds of roads to get to heaven. There's all kinds of ways. No, Jesus said, I am the only way. And John takes 21 chapters, if you will, to prove that Jesus is God and he is the Messiah. And that's how we're reconciled back to God. And so we see that, right? The reason, this is the reason Jesus had to die. Now, check this out. When you and I are in Christ, God the Father now sees his son. When he looks at Adam, he doesn't see Adam anymore. He sees Jesus. That's the whole part of being in Christ. When he looks at Tiffany, he goes, Jesus. That's beautiful. Why? Because I can't stand. My life is not going to be able to atone for my own sins. I'm not righteous. But God sees Jesus. Amen. By what right do you have to go to heaven? I don't have any rights, but through Jesus Christ, I'm in. Hallelujah. I'm in. I'm in. Aren't you glad this morning, church? Aren't you glad that Jesus paid it all? Aren't you glad? Man, I'm so glad. Our sins, guys, think about this. Your sins, past. Your sins present, your, your sins, the future sins you haven't even done yet. But I don't going to sin. No, I hope you don't. But if you do, it's paid for. It's paid for. Paid in full. Amen. Amen. Well, that's why Jesus had to die. And, and two weeks ago, guess what? We ended our study right there. Jesus. Yahshua. That just died. We actually called the message the day God died, and we took a look at verse 30. Look at verse 30 with me. It says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, I want you to see that. Everybody look at chapter 19, verse 30. He said, it is finished. He didn't say it's partially finished. He didn't say, oh, you got a little bit more. Listen, I'll do my part, but you got to do yours, okay? You got to put on that beautiful Christian smile. And you got to say hallelujah, and you got to say amen, and you got to call everybody brother and say, if you do your part, you're it. No, no, no. He said, it is finished. It's done. It's done. And you go, how do I know it's done? Well, notice his bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Right here, my Jesus died. My Jesus died. But I want to take you back just a little bit, guys. I want to take you back for just a moment, because we learned something very interesting in verse 29, something about the hyssop. Look at verse 29 with me. It says, now before Jesus died, there was a full vessel of sour wine sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, and they put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. You go, why is that important? Everything in the word of God is important. I'm learning that every word has has meaning, it has depth, it has, you go, what do you mean? Well, he did just, you and I were sitting there go, yeah, somebody goes, he goes, I'm thirsty. Somebody goes, oh, here's some hyssop. Now, first and foremost, if you go to Israel, you know that hyssop grows everywhere, they're not like going, where's the hyssop? Where? It's just everywhere. So they grabbed some hyssop, they put out some sour wine, and they raised it to the cross. Now, here's what we need to learn about hyssop. If you're taking note, if you go back to the Exodus, guys, remember the Bible teaches us in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, it says, it says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, and strike the lentil into two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door until morning. What is this called? This is called the Passover. Do you remember when the death angel was coming? He said, take hyssop, put it in the blood, put it on the top, and then on the sides. That was with hyssop. That was with hyssop. Why is that important? Here's what I want you to remember. The hyssop plant is not very long, maybe two feet, three feet at the most. 
You didn't, they didn't have a big long stick of hyssop trying to get the doorpost. The doorposts in, in Israel are not very big. It was just real, real two feet at the most. That's very important. Okay. Why is that important? Because here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing we need to understand. When you go and you realize all the videos you've seen, you'll see Jesus crucified way up on a hill. Across upon a hillside, way up, right? And he's high. And it's like the soldier has to take this and go, okay, hold on. It's like way up there. That's not the case. The case is when, when Rome crucified somebody, they crucified him maybe about a foot or two off the road where people could see him, right here. And the hyssop tells us that when they put that up, it was literally just this. It was literally just two feet up. It was right there. Because they wouldn't do all that, and you go, okay, so the crucifixion was not on a huge hillside where nobody could see, and there's a, there's a beautiful sunset on the back, and there's three crosses. No, it was, it was very common. It was on the road, and you could see. Listen, if you were walking on the Passover and you saw three criminals, you could see. You could see this. You could see that Jesus was unrecognizable as a man. And what you saw on the cross was not somebody but you saw a figure of somebody. You see, his body would be in shock. He'd already be swelling from the beating. His beard would pull out. The blood would come down. You'd go, I don't even know if that's a man. That's how close you could be. You go, well, give me something else about hyssop. Well, here's what we learn also about hyssop. It, it talks about cleansing. Cleansing, as a matter of fact, the psalmist says this in Psalm 51, verse 7. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. And I, will, and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. David does not refer to a physical cleaning. So it's not like, hey, wash me. Here's what he's saying. Rather, he's asking God to cleanse him spiritually as he confesses his sins. Guys, how is that so important for us? That's so important for us. We want to make sure that grace is not just, hey, I can do whatever I want because I'm under grace. It's, it's knowing that we've heard our Jesus, knowing that we're in a wrongful place and confessing that and said, Lord, cleanse me with his up, just like he did. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, it said, when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and bunches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll in all the people. And all the people. So hyssop is very interesting. Now here, let me just let me just jog your memory for a minute, okay? If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about the tunic, the tunic that Jesus wore, right? It said it was sewn from top to bottom. If you recall, that was very symbolic of the high priest offering the lamb. Jesus wearing that tunic, he was actually the high priest offering himself as the Lamb of God. He was acting as the high priest. That was amazing. But now you look at the hyssop and you go, well, what is that? Well, it's symbolic of the cleansing work of the cross that it'll bring to our lives. Our sins forgiven and we've been made clean. Can I get an amen? Because here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. The devil, your enemy, is always going to say, you're not clean. You have to do. You have to. Come on. No, no, no. We understand. Hyssop means we are clean. My sins are forgiven. Guys, how would we live? How would you live the rest of the week, the rest of your life, knowing that your sins are forgiven completely? We should be happy. We should be joyful. Amen. Yeah, but you're going to sin again. You're a loser. Amen. 
but I know my sins are forgiven. Where's the joy come from? The joy comes from going, listen, I can live my life to the fullest, and when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. And then the devil puts his hands on his hips and he goes, how do you know that? Because Jesus did, because I'm the righteousness of God. It's the only way. That's the only way. That's the only way. Hyssop, symbolic of cleansing, guys. We've made, been made clean. Well, now we come to the aftermath, guys. Look at your Bibles, picking it up in verse 31. It says, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. This is the aftermath, okay? Listen, John is reminding us that the Sabbath was coming that evening but also that the Sabbath was a high day. Now, again, you go, okay, I'm not sure what that means. I just know that Jesus, he's dead. He's dead on the cross. You have one on the right, one on the left. He's dead. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Let's do a little bit of research here, okay? The high day, the high Sabbath means, here's what goes on. The first day of their feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually fell on the Sabbath. So it made it a high festival. You go, well, tell me what that means. In that day, it would mean that all the people would appear and presented themselves before the Lord in the temple with a sheaf of their first fruits offered up as well as the Sabbath. So there was, it was a culminating Sabbath. It would be those. So they're realizing this is just not a normal Sabbath. This is a high Sabbath, and it's the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We don't want people on the cross. We, this, is, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good because we've got to come to the temple. We've got to present our first fruit. So what did they do? The Jews didn't want to pollute the Sabbath day festival. So they asked Pilate in reality if he could hurry up and speed the death process. You go, what do you mean? What do you mean? First and foremost, guys, if you recall, however they nailed the feet to the cross, Let me give you two conflicting ideas. Some believe that he was like this with a nail here and he could push himself up. Others, they have found in Israel that there's a nail on each side of the cross. They actually found a heel bone with a nail through. I wasn't there. I don't know. But either way, what would happen, guys, is they're on the cross and they would lift themselves up just to get a breath. And then they fall down. So they're they're not breathing. It's like... And, and they're pushing with everything they have. Now, where this, where's the strength coming from? Their legs. So here's the problem. If I go break your legs, I have nothing, and I'm going to suffocate in a matter of minutes. <gasps> That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're hoping for. But they remembered that the law of the land, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22, here's what they were remembering. Hey, it's a law. They said, if a man has committed a sin de- de- deserving of death, and he is put to death, and he is hanged on a tree... His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he is hanged on a tree as a curse of God. So they're hanged on a tree, if you will, and they said, oh, no, 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 get him down before the Sabbath. We don't want to defile. This is our law. This is our law. So they go to Pilate and said, can we hurry this up? Sabbath is coming. The high festival is coming. You go, so what is this? Aftermath number one, it was Passover, the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the aftermath of leaving the men on the cross was hastened, okay? 
This would be a consequence of being crucified on the Sabbath. So what happened? Look at verse 20. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Okay? Something very interesting. You go, what's that? Hold your finger here. Go back to Mark's gospel, okay? Go back just a little bit. It'll be Matthew and Mark. So, so just a couple of books back, guys. Mark, okay, chapter 15. Look at it real quick. We're going to pick up the same story in verse 16, but Mark's going to show us something a little bit different. Okay, well, as you're turning to Mark 15, remember, all John said was Jesus, they were going to break his legs, they came to him, and they saw, oh, he's already dead, so we're not going to break his legs, but let's, let's go back a little bit. Mark chapter 15, in verse 36, says this, then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to a drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. Verse 37 says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. So Mark's giving us a different account. Look at verse 38, okay? Two things are happening right now that John doesn't tell us. In the first, in verse 38, guys, you see that of Mark? It says, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, in the movie, in the Passion, okay, there's a huge earthquake and the tail go, and the veil goes from the temple. Now, to you and I, that goes, okay. I don't know what that means exactly, but we need to understand exactly what's going on. Jesus is just dying on the cross, a cross on the temple mount right now. The, there it is. The veil that keeps the people from accessing God, the Holy of Holies, is now torn in two, but it's not torn from bottom to top, it's, to- it's torn from top to bottom. You go, okay, you told me that, but what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Only the priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. You and I, common folk, we could not go in. We couldn't even get real close, so if you wanted to access God, you really couldn't. You'd have to go through somebody a mediator through the high priest. What Jesus did by dying on the cross and the temple veil tearing, he says, now everyone has access to God through me. It's like, wow, do you guys see that? That was so significant because now, if, if it was still the same way, what would us Gentiles do? We'd be going, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to please our God? We can't even get close to him. Jesus said, no, listen, it is finished. The the temple veil torn, you have access straight to God. Hebrews tells us that, right? And we can come boldly before the throne of God. We can come boldly and say, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, guide me. What do you want for my life? Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here, right? This is amazing. In verse 39, it goes on and he says, And when the centurion stood opposite of him, saw that he cried out like that, and he breathed his laugh, notice what he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion guys proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God. The centurion. Now, 
it's just, I mean, there's so much here we could dig into. We just don't, we just don't have the time. But think about this. Temple Vale Centurion is claiming he is the son of God. But let's look at it a little bit more. Say goodbye to Mark and go over one book to the right to Luke 23. Luke 23. So, okay, goodbye, Mark. We're going over to Luke 23. I want to show you something. I want to show you something that John is not telling us, but I think it's important. If you recall, when Jesus was crucified between two criminals, you guys remember that? One on his right and one on his left. That's all John tells us. And Jesus was crucified, one on the right, one on the left. And everybody goes, okay. But Luke gives us a little bit more details, right? Luke 23, picking it up in verse 39. I want you to note the account. Luke 23, 39 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, quote, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Do you guys see that? Do you see that? So one of the criminals, I mean, it says it blasphemed, and I'm going, well, blaspheming here might is just simply saying he doesn't believe that he's the Christ. Why? Because he's questioning him. Hey, if you're God, hey, if you're the Christ, he says, save yourself and save us. He blasphemed. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's going, dude, dude, let's put it in layman term. He's like, dude, seriously? We're, we're being, we, we deserve to die. We, we did it. But Jesus didn't do anything. How could you even, what is wrong with you? And notice he turns to Jesus in verse 42, and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice what Jesus says, guys, so important. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. The dude just got saved. Right there, he just got saved. He said, Lord, I believe, remember me, right? The other one's blaspheming. How could you get us down from this? What is wrong with you? Rah, 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 rah. Did you notice in John's account, in John's account, it said that, hey, can we break their legs to hurry up? It's a high, it's a high Sabbath. It's, we, want, we want to get on with life, you know, come on. It's the Sabbath day. But it said that Jesus had already died. You go, yeah, I, I saw that. I find it interesting that he died before the other two men. And you go, why is that? Because he simply promised one of them that, that he would be with Jesus in paradise. And you go, cool. How does that apply to me? Here's what I love. Catch it, guys. Catch it. I love the fact that whatever I have to go through in this life, Jesus is already there. Jesus has already led the way. You see, the problem is, guys, is that we worry about tomorrow, and my Jesus is already there. He's already led the way. He's already there. Right? The guy goes... The guy goes, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you go me your kingdom. Jesus is like, listen, I'm already there. Today, you're going to be with me in prayer. How is this going to go? He said, don't worry about it. I'm going to go first, and then I'm going to receive you. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? There's Jesus in paradise, right? Abraham's bosom. He goes, hold on, guys. Before we celebrate, how you all doing? Hold on. I got one more coming. And the guy dies, and he comes. It's like, you're already here, Jesus? Guys, that's just so much encouragement for me. Why? Because... Because tomorrow, God's already there. And what I have to do is I have to be the thief on the cross, and I have to trust that God's already there. God, you're already there. I trust you.
I trust you. What did the thief, what did the thief, what did the thief trust? Guys, he trusted the words of Jesus. You have the words of Jesus. He trusted that. There's not a whole lot of things we should trust, but we should trust the word of God. Would you agree? We need to trust the word of God. You need to put your faith and trust in that. And that's what, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's always first. And that gives me peace to walk forward. If you're needing peace today for tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, God's already there. Trust him. Well, Ben, what's the aftermath? Well, aftermath number two, Jesus is already dead. The other two will have their legs broken and they will die quickly. Look at verse 33 back in John 19. Verse 33 in John 19 says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and blood and water came out. We've heard this story for decades. They come to Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus is only about two, two feet off the ground. So he came, and, he, and, and Jesus is dead. He's not breathing. They're looking at him. Now he's dead. The other two, boom, ah, right? Because they're going to be gone in a moment. Jesus. Well, to make sure, I'm going to take a spear, and I'm going to pierce him on the side. Now, to you and I, we go, yeah, why couldn't you just leave him alone? But it's so, something so, 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 so important, right? So the soldier, just to make sure, he stabs Jesus in the side. And what comes out, guys? Blood and water. Blood and water comes out of the body of Jesus. Now, have you ever asked the question, why blood and water? Have you ever asked that? I mean, if Jesus is dead, why would they stab him? And then why would blood and water? Here's what you need to understand. When Jesus died, Jesus died of a broken heart. You said, really? He died like... No, no, no. His heart literally broke inside of him. He died of a broken heart. Okay? And so, as, as, as there he is, what happens is that he was on the cross, his arms stretched out as best he could. He's trying to get a breath. He can't breathe. And when he gave, when he said, it is finished, literally his heart busted inside of him. But the blood and water had nowhere to go but to just feel the cavity of his body. And when the soldier hit him, guess what came out? A broken heart. So symbolic. Why? Because Jesus died for us and he died of a broken heart. Why would he die of a broken heart? Because he knew that's what sin does. You see, there are, there are many of us who play around with sin and we don't realize that it wants to break your heart. It wants to, it wants to hurt you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to lead you on a path of unbelievable misery. That's what sin does. Jesus, knowing that and knowing that his people would follow that path, his heart broke. And both blood and water flowed out from his side. Think about this for a moment, church. There are people who allude to the fact that, oh, well, Jesus really didn't die. You know that, right? You see, he kind of went into a coma. The soldiers thought he was dead. The disciples stole his body and they nursed him back to life. No. Jesus died a brutal death. He died from a broken heart. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. See, he was God's son. Because no man, no man would endure such excruciating pain and death. No man. I think about this, we were, we were talking about it earlier, 
And uh, have you ever gotten a splinter? Have you ever gotten a paper cut? Have you ever gotten that sort of thing? Man, we, aren't we like, ow, look, I'm bleeding. And it really hurts. I mean, it's just like just the, you know, or you get that splinter in there and you're like, oh, I got a splinter, look. And it just, we, we cry about that. Have you ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? Oh, man, the neighbors can hear you. Maybe some choice words come to mind. I don't know. Or maybe you cut your tongue on a, on a Starbucks cup. I don't know. The point is, this is Jesus. And what he had to endure tells me that he was God. And he did it for me. You see, guys, the, the enemy is always going to question what is love? What is love? What does love look like? I'll tell you what love looks like. Look at Jesus. That's pure and perfect love. Pure and perfect love. Love is a choice. And he said, willingly, willingly. I think maybe that's why the angels throw a party when somebody gets saved. Because they go, love. Love works. Love works. Look. Look. Well, what was the aftermath been? Aftermath number three, Jesus was dead. Stabbed to make sure blood and water flowed out of the dead body. Those around the cross, what were they doing? They were crying, they were weeping, and they were hopeless. And I wrote that down in my notes because I know there's a lot of us that feel like that today. We feel, we feel, guys, like crying. We feel like we have a weeping soul. We feel like life is hopeless. And we feel like it's Friday night. We, the people around the cross looked at Jesus and thought, it's over. Well, what do we do? What do we, what do we, we have just wasted three years of our life. But no, 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 no. You didn't. He said he's going to come back. You said he's going to, ra- oh, he's going to, he's going to resurrect. Really? I mean, have you ever seen anybody resurrect? Well, I see, I heard. We heard through Instagram that he, he what? He raised some folks from the dead. I mean, we, we heard that. He said, he said. And a lot of us feel like Friday, but we forget that Sunday's on the way. And that there is coming that resurrection day. The world is rejoicing. Yeah! Shows you, buddy. We took care of that. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. God's not going to settle his accounts on Friday. He's going to settle his account on Sunday. When the world will see a beautiful resurrection. And what John seems to do now, guys, notice in verse 35, he sends to, he sends to interlude a personal thought before continuing the story. I love that John does that. He's kind of thinking, he's writing, he's going this. Oh, but let me tell you what I think. Look at verse 35, and he says, and he who has seen and testified and his testimony is true, he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. You go, what did John say? Well, let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says this, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. What's the common denominator in that verse? He says, I'm telling you this. You can bet on it. Take it to the bank because I want you to believe. That's his point, right? He wants us to believe. You know, what does the word believe mean? If you guys remember, it's made up of three Greek words. I want to give them to you again real quick because that's what John says. John says, he spoke the truth so that you would continue to believe. The first Greek word is pisteo, P-I-S-T-U-O, to have faith in, in respect to a person, to entrust him. In other words, he's saying, do you have faith in Jesus? The other Greek word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means to be persuaded, to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. So first of all, you believe in Jesus, your reliance is upon Christ, you know that's the only way you can get saved. And the last one is pitheo, and it means to be convinced with confidence. Nobody's going to try to change your mind, because that belief is deep, it's inside you. I believe, I believe. John says, 
Everything that I wrote is so that you would believe. You would believe. Now, you've got to check your belief for just a moment. Why? Because it means, are you in the pool or are you simply just dipping your foot in? Because John wants us to jump in the water. And if you've ever gone to a pool, there's two groups of people that go to a pool. You know what I'm talking about? There are those who go and go, ooh, ooh, and then they, they get in like, oh, each step, oh, oh. And, and I mean, that's how they get in the pool, right? Very slowly, and they're shaking the whole way, and some of them go, nope, 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 too cold. And then you have the crazies. The crazies go, I don't care how cold it is, and they just jump in. They just jump in. Which one are you? But I want to be the one that just jumps in. When he says, I wrote this so you believe, I'd be like, I believe. And then find out that the water is perfect. It's not cold. It's nice. It's nice. The report is from an eyewitness. Thank you, John. He's giving you an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. Now, as we close, two prophetic scriptures are fulfilled in the aftermath of the crucifixion as the crucifixion is continued, look at verse 36. He says, for, for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, that not one of his bones should be broken. And again, another scripture says that they shall look upon him whom they pierce. Now, if you're taking notes, you just want to jot this down. It's Numbers chapter 9, verse 12. It says, they shall leave none until morning, nor break one of its bones according to the ordinances of the Passover, and they shall keep it. They never broke the bones of the Passover lamb. They went to the other two on the cross, boom, boom, ah. And Jesus, I said, no, 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 no. And Psalm 34, verse 20 says, he guards all his bones. None of them is broken. Prophetic. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. In speaking of the other prophecy, it was, I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. That's Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, prophetically saying, and they will look at him. The soldier's coming and going, huh, he's already dead. Let's just make sure. But no, no. Orchestrated, ordained by our heavenly father. Every word, every word. You can trust this, guys. All of these Old Testament scriptures pointed to Jesus. But you know what I noticed? They missed it. They missed it. Pride kept them from believing in Jesus. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Man, listen, if I give my life to God, it's going to change everything, man. I'm not going to be able to do the thing. No, 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 no. Listen, that's not what he says. He says, trust me, don't let pride get in the way. Everything pointed to this moment, and people still missed it. And see, many today, guys, are swallowing that same pill. Pride is keeping them from surrendering to Jesus and fully dedicating their lives to him. Pride. Even in the aftermath, God was showing us that Jesus was the one and only Messiah. So my question to you as we end our Bible study this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you Church, listen, do you have faith in Jesus? Do you entrust him? Are you persuaded to have reliance on Christ for your salvation? You know, Jesus is the only way I'm saved. 
And are you convinced with confidence? Nobody's going to talk you out of it. That's what he's saying. Do you believe? Do you believe? Well, you might be here this morning. You go, Pastor, I don't, you were saying a bunch of stuff. And, and to be honest with you, some lights are going on. But I've got to be honest with you. I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus like that. I don't know if I'm really saved. And there were two people on the cross, Pastor. One is saved and one didn't get saved. I feel like the other guy on the cross, but, but today I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Today I want to confess my sins and say, God, come into my heart. I can feel him, Pastor. I can feel him, but I got to be honest with you. I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. You don't understand. I've done so much. Listen, you may feel like you're a million miles away. You may feel like you're oceans away from God, but your one decision this morning, your one decision of coming to God, you go, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Do I have to join this church? No, no, no. We don't even have a membership. What you have to do is join the family of God. How do I do that? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. What are you going to do? What do I have to do? In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. If God is speaking to you, not me, if God is speaking to you and you can feel him in your heart and he's telling you today's the day, you need to be right with me. And all you have to do is lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. And I'll lead you in a prayer, and we'll give you a Bible, and we'll get you on your way, and we'll just pray for you, and we'll love on you. But that's between you and the Lord. But I'll tell you this. The Bible says that there is a party in heaven when one person repents and comes to the Lord. When one person confesses and says, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. There's going to be a party in heaven if God is speaking to you. Pastor, what if, nobody, what, what, what if nobody raises their hand? And I say, amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for paying for my sins. I can pay for them. Thank you for reconciling us back to you. I don't understand it all, but I trust you, and I've put my faith in you, and I love you. And Lord, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would do its beautiful work in getting into the hearts of of people that need you. So Lord, today, I pray if there's anyone here that your word touched, that they would surrender this morning, that they would not, they would not swallow pride, God. They would, they, would, they would not swallow that and have that pride, but they would swallow their pride, if you will, and, and surrender their lives to you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor, would you just, would you just pray for me? Would you just pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to surrender completely. I want him to have all of my heart. I want my sins forgiven. I want Jesus to come into my heart, and I want to live for him. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand, say, Pastor, pray. Nobody will see you. God will see you. You just need to say, Pastor, pray for me. Will you do that right now? If God is speaking to your heart, just lift up your hand. I'll pray for you, and God will see your heart. God bless you back there. God bless you. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I thank you that you're going to do an amazing job. I thank you, God, that you're speaking to them, Lord, through the power of your spirit. Thank you. I pray for them, Lord. If you lifted up your hand, you might want to pray a prayer similar to this in your own words. Between you and God, you might want to say, Lord, I believe. I've walked away from you, but I I want to follow you. I want my life to, to be yours. I confess, God, that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and you're the only Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me, Lord. I believe you... You died and you were buried and you were raised on the third day. I believe that you're sitting at the right hand of God interceding for me right now. 
And I'm asking you, God, to come into my heart to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. I choose to stay to follow you, Jesus, forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we believe you're born again. We love you. We want a Bible. We want to get you on the right track. Have a blessed, blessed morning. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.